We have been conditioned to be hyper-focused on the goals or the end results as a default. And that thing we focus on almost exclusively these days. And what I've noticed is that the real movers and shakers, they make the system the default. They only check in on the goal occasionally to see if they are moving in the right direction. They set the goal and they say, okay, well, done with that. What is my process and how can I fall in love with it? Another thing that's really fascinating is what's known as pursuit dopamine, which you can learn about with Andrew Huberman. It's another thing that we'll call high performers understand. The process and preparation actually has more pleasure than actually achieving the goal. Because achieving the goal only changes your life for that moment, essentially. And it's also actually not the thing that we're usually looking for. We think the end result is the thing that needs to change, but it's actually the process behind those results. Say you live in a messy house and you set a goal to clean the house. You can get motivated. You could do it for two or three hours, turn around and see that you have now cleaned your entire house. However, I'm sure you know where I'm going. If you don't change the messy habits, systems, and processes that led to a dirty house in the first place, you will, without a doubt, in a couple to few weeks, turn around and have a messy house again. Now, not only that sucks, but it affects our consciousness. It affects our self-worth and our self-esteem. Because you remember cleaning the house and you felt great about it, but now it's dirty again and you think, the hell is wrong with me? And that's kind of the lie we have been told about goals. Intentional or not, we have been told to focus only on the goal, aka the end result, and it causes massive frustration and self-doubt. So again, whatever the goal is, whenever you speak it or write it, drop it to the side and focus on the system and processes, the habits that will give you that result. It's like... You don't need to lose fat. You need better eating systems. And then your weight will be where you need it to be. You don't need more money necessarily. You need better financial habits. And then you'll always have enough money to manage the thing that comes up. And that's just why one of the reasons small habits matter so much. It's the core reason people are frustrated with themselves. It's like... Small habits don't necessarily transform your life overnight. Just as doing one push-up does not transform your body. Because what it really does is cast a vote into your subconscious that you're the type of person who does work out. And that is way more powerful than the current end result because the process will achieve the results you desire. The real goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The goal is not to write a book. The goal is to become a writer. Because once you've adopted that identity, you're not even really pursuing behavior change anymore, which can feel like pushing a boulder up fucking hills. You can let it go. You're just acting in alignment with the type of person you already see yourself to be. When behavior changes, reality changes with it. Because you're not even really motivating yourself to do X, Y, or Z. You're just like, this is who I am now. You know, the technical definition of a habit is a behavior that has been repeated enough times to be more or less automatic. 
So things that you can do pretty much without thinking, like brushing your teeth or tying your shoes. Well, in today's world, I've noticed we often use this word habit to mean different things. And it's getting people confused, like myself. Like you might say things like, I want to get in the habit of working out. And it's clear that what we mean is that we want to make it a regular practice. I want to make it a daily ritual that I follow. But I'm never going to go on autopilot and forget about the fact that I'm lifting hundreds of pounds over my chest in the gym for an hour, right? It's more of a conscious thing. But at first, what we really want to do is make the beginning easy and automatic because then the rest of the routine can follow naturally. So why does the brain build these habits known as cue, craving, response, and reward? Well, as we go through life, we need energy to survive. And this is true not just for humans, but for all organisms, as they need some kind of energy to survive. And getting energy requires, well, energy. So we need to eat food to be able to walk around and find the next meal. And using energy is expensive because the more energy you use, the less you have available for other things that life throws at you. So your brain is always looking for ways to conserve energy whenever possible. And habits are a great method for doing this. And it makes that whole process of finding energy and solving problems and getting through things so much easier because it requires less energy and attention from our brain, even if it does not serve us long-term. Maybe it serves something short-term when the habit was created. I started to realize, similar to what I just said a moment ago, that both luck and habits play a role in life, but we have control over our habits. And the funny thing is, we're building them all the time. But a lot of people like me, well, we don't feel like we have control over our habits. It feels like most of the time, my habits are taking control of me. I feel like a victim of these bad routines, and it really sucks. It feels like hell. But once I start to dive in a little bit and uncover these layers to habits, I realize what a habit is and how it works, and it makes it easier. And then I can start to develop a little more control over it. And if we're going to be building habits anyway, it's natural. It's what humans do. It makes more sense to be able to understand how they work so we can structure them to, well, however we want them so that we can be the architect of our habits rather than the victim. And it's not that luck and randomness and uncertainty doesn't play a role in life because come on, they do. Luck is a part of all of our lives to a certain degree, both good fortune and bad. But by definition, you don't have control over luck. But what we do have control over are our habits. And once we understand how they work and how they get created, we can do something with them. I also think that the reason they're so worthwhile to focus on and understand is that they are the portion of our lives that get influenced and it's going to determine our outcomes. So it only makes sense for us as a reasonable strategy to focus on what we can control. If we were to spend all of our time focusing on things we can't control, well, we're just going to end up frustrated. Of course, talent, genes, they play a role. And yes, it's important. People have natural predispositions to things that make them better. 
But what you find in the books is that nearly almost always what we will call high performers within a particular domain, they are well suited with both. So they are naturally talented, you know, with some predisposition, but then they also practice. They create talent. You can't succeed without having great habits and fully realizing the potential that you have. A lot of time people talk about, I want to have more money. I want to lose weight or I want some kind of result. But the truth is my bank account is a lagging measure of my financial habits. My knowledge is a lagging measure of my learning and reading habits. And so we get sucked into thinking that the things that need to change is the end result, the bank account, the test score, the numbers on the weight scale. But actually, the thing that needs to change are the processes that precede those outcomes. Now, how do we come to believe things about ourselves to begin with? Well, because when we came into the world as a baby, we don't have any preset beliefs or notions. You guys already know this. Now, that's not to say, again, that our genes don't matter. They certainly matter in some sense, depending on our desired area of achievement, like functionality, expertise, or industry. But we all realize that if we grew up in different cultures or different religions or different communities or households, we're likely going to adopt completely different beliefs. So when it comes to identity, having a direct connection to our habits and processes, how would that internal story end up telling ourselves that we should shape and form to this way? Well, it's probably through the repetition of the story we tell about ourselves. So what you come to realize is that our habits reinforce a particular identity. And sometimes this can be positive and sometimes it could be negative. The story could be things like, I'm crappy at math or worse, I'm terrible at communication or even triple worse. I'm a horrible person because I experienced addiction growing up. I don't deserve a good life. And all of these stories are just an internal story, an internal identity that we tell ourselves consciously and subconsciously. But each time we have an experience that reinforces that negative story, it gets solidified. And that's critical. So I think the takeaway here is that every action we take is kind of like a vote for the type of person we want to become, even if we don't execute as much or as great as we would like to. And if you can master the right actions, even if they're small at first, then you will master the right habits over time. And you can start to cast votes for this new identity, aka the desired person you want to become. I mean, we should say goals do serve a purpose, right? I don't mean to completely destroy it. It's not that they're useless. They are great for setting a sense of direction and clarity. And they're good for filtering because it's so easy to go throughout life and for people to come in with a different opportunity or a new area of expertise that triggers your interest and you start to say yes to things because it's new and exciting. However, you need to stay on point and knowing what your goal is can keep you on track. And a lot of this can be learned in a book by Michael Easter. It's called Scarcity Brain. But to stick with the point, if you aren't falling off the original path with your original goal, it will be much easier to say no to things that intrude because the goal is focused on the outcome and your system is focused on the process. 
So it's the series of habits or steps that we take to get to that ultimate goal. They're sort of like a yo-yo effect. Like someone trains for a half a marathon and they run the race. And that race motivated them to train for the last like three or four months. But then the race ends and they stop. They take a week off and then it turns into two weeks and then two months and so on. And they turn around multiple months later like, what the hell? I haven't ran in months. It's like, maybe I should sign up for a new race or something. Because when it's all about the goal, as soon as the goal is achieved, you don't have that motivation anymore. But instead, if it's about the process, or in this case, being a runner, then even once you finish the race, you still have a reason to show up again because you're like, well, this is just what I do. I run. It's who I am. So I think this is pretty much true in any domain. True long-term thinking is really goalless thinking. It's much more about being the person developing that identity and following that system. And then you just happen to realize your potential along the way. It can feel insignificant on any day, but then you turn around 10 years later and it's actually by surprise where you end up. And that's a common hallmark of any compounding process, that the greatest returns are always delayed. So habits are like that too. They don't feel like much on any given day, but they really do add up over the months and years. Try to remember the cost of your good habits is in the present and the cost of your bad habits is in the future. Take care.